morning. You can be seated. Hope you're good. Yeah, it's a good day. Guy I met uh, a couple of weeks ago does some work here around the church. He, every time he comes in my office, he says, uh, every day above ground is a good day, right? And so he said, it's, it's better when you're pushing down on the dirt and the dirt's pushing down on you. And so I thought that was pretty good. Uh, but glad you're here. Um, excited about today. Uh, feel like what's on my heart is pretty challenging. Um, but I believe that, that uh, that'll be helpful. I want to pray for us before we get started. Um, and even before that, I want to mention tonight that we'll be back doing our prayer and worship at 6. And again, encourage you to come be a part of that. We I need to be praying together. We need to be worshiping together uh, and really spending some time um, in focused prayer. Usually what we'll do in, during that time is we'll have, have some time during that service that we focus in on something and we intentionally pray um, for uh, certain things that God uh, has put on our hearts. And so I hope you'll come and join us for that. Uh, again, it's extremely important and something that uh, we need to be doing together. Um, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 27. If you want to turn there, I want to pray for us, and then we'll get into this message. I want to pray, is this on my heart for this service? Paul, in Ephesians chapter 1, prayed a prayer, uh, or wrote out a prayer that he prayed for the Ephesians and for believers. And it's just been on my heart today that we would pray that prayer. Um, and so I'm just going to read it out of the, out of the Scripture, out of the Bible, um, for our prayer and then uh, we'll go from there but Paul wrote this he said ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people and this is our prayer that we would be a be a church that uh, God gives us his wisdom Paul wrote it this way he says I've not stopped giving thanks for you remembering you in my prayers he said, I keep asking that the God of your Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, that he would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. That's my prayer this morning, that God would give us more of his spirit of wisdom and revelation, that we would know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ Jesus from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Father, I thank you for that truth. I thank you, Lord, that that would be our, our cry. Lord, that we would have more of the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that we would know you better, know you more, God, that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened, that we could see the hope you've called us to, not just us individually, but the hope you've called us to as your church, as your people. God, I, I just thank you for your truth. I thank you, God, that we can stand upon it. I thank you that it's God-breathed. It came from you. It carries authority. Father, I thank you that it teaches us, rebukes us, corrects us, and trains us 
so that we're thoroughly equipped for every good work that you have for us. So I pray that this morning, Lord, that your word would do exactly that. Teach, rebuke, correct, train us, Lord, that we fulfill your purpose, walk in a right relationship with you through Jesus, and enjoy your presence in our life. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, well, some of you, probably a lot of you, have, uh, are aware that I have several boys. Um, my youngest son, a uh, little redhead, you've you probably seen running around here. He may have kicked you in the shin or something on the way by. Um, he, uh, he's pretty witty. He's, he's pretty, pretty funny, um, always into something, always got something to say. He's eight years old. And uh, this week, his teacher at school had a little assignment for him. And the assignment was to uh, create a restaurant that, um, that would be their restaurant. You know, they would start it, own it, run it, that kind of thing. And they created the restaurant, and then she had some other questions for them. So um, his grandfather owned a restaurant that's been closed now for a few years. But um, the name of the restaurant was Snooky's. A lot of you, I'm sure, are familiar with that. But Reed decided that for his restaurants, he would just call it Snooky's 2, okay? Um, and so he names it Snooky's 2. The next question was, what is your restaurant going to be famous for? Reed put a handsome owner. So that's my son. Uh, he, I don't know where he gets his stuff from, y'all. He's, he's very witty. Um, and uh, just, just funny. He's always into something, like I said. Uh, and I was thinking about that. I talked about that a little bit in a, a wedding yesterday um, and, and talked about the focus of marriage and, and what's the focus of marriage, their marriage going to be as uh, we were in that service. And, and I was thinking about it, though, this morning again. And I feel like one of the things that has to happen for the church is the church has to step back and not just this church, but the church, the big C church, We've got to step back and ask ourselves, what are we going to be known for? We've got to take a step back and ask ourselves, what's our focus going to be? As God's church, the church, the big C church, what are we going to be known for? What are we going to be famous for? What are we, who are we going to make famous? Because here's the thing that I'm seeing and that I've seen is that our focus has been off in a lot of ways. The church uh, is intended, and we'll look more at this today, the church is intended to um, show forth the glory of God, to show forth his manifold wisdom, as we'll read in a little while. The church is intended uh, to be God's people on the earth, and we saw this a few weeks ago where we looked at Genesis 1, 26 through 28 and Acts 1, 8, where in Genesis 1, 26 through 28, God created man and he told us to fill the earth, to subdue it, to have dominion over it, to rule and reign over it in a way that glorifies him, filling the earth with his image. We see where we lost that through sin, but then Jesus comes and he gives us back right relationship with God, gives us back our ability to have dominion over the earth and rule and reign in a way that honors and glorifies God to once again fill the earth with the image of God. We looked at all of that stuff um, and so we see that that's our purpose. Our purpose on earth is to fill it in such a way that God is glorified. But I feel like for the church that, that that's gotten really misconstrued. 
I feel like what we're known for is not that we glorify God many times. In fact, I would say that public opinion of the church is probably at an all-time low. And for a lot of good reasons, to be quite honest. And we've got to be willing to be honest with ourselves and take a step back and ask ourselves, are we, are we doing what God called us to do? Are we becoming who God called us to be? Are we, and if not, why aren't we? Another thing you know if you've been around here a while is you know I, I love athletics. I love, um, <laughs> might not look like it now, but I do. Um, I love, you know, competing and just the sports aspect. One of the things I love about it is the team aspect. Um, some of you have been a part of teams. Some of you have been a part of really good teams. Some of you have been a part of teams that weren't very good. Um, some of you, maybe not a sports team, but you've been a part of a workforce or a group of people working together and, and, and trying to accomplish a purpose. And so you've been a part of that. Uh, I was thinking about that again this week, and I was thinking, like, what motivates a good team? And I came up with three things that really jumped out at me, and, and there's probably more, but... but Three things that I think um, we see a lot of times that motivate people when they're a part of a group. Now, one of those things is the coach. If you've ever played for a good coach, you, you, you know like you'd run through a brick wall for the coach. Why is it? He's invested in you. He's, he pushes you to be your best. Um, you're bought into him as a leader. You're bought into where you're going. And so the coach oftentimes is a great motivation uh, to, to playing hard and working hard. Another one, and this was probably the biggest, one of the biggest ones for me, definitely had the coaches, but the other one was my teammates, my teammates, the people next to me. One of the reasons I played so hard was because I didn't want to let them down. I, I wanted to do my part so that we would succeed together. I understood that if I don't do my part, they can't do their part, and as a whole, we can't accomplish our goals. And so here's one of the things that motivated me was this guy beside me, the person next to me. The other one, and unfortunately, this is becoming a lot more, uh, a lot more prominent today than I think in years past. The other motivation is really selfish ambition. It's self-gain. It's wanting to get a scholarship or wanting to earn a lot of money or wanting to get that next promotion. So I'm more focused on me and moving me forward and lifting me up than I am on the team and the purpose that we're going for. It's about my stats and, and my accomplishments and what I want. And, and, and parents, just we tend to feed right into that. It's about the individual. It's not so much about the team. So we can be motivated by the coach. We're motivated by our teammates. And then sometimes we're motivated by what can I get out of this? The challenge here, folks, is what I see in the church is much more like number three than it is like one and two. I'm not motivated, typically, the church, to do what I do because of God because of what God has done and who God is, who I was and what I've become now in Christ, that typically oftentimes is not the motivation of the church. I don't do it for that. It's not even the people around me. And I'm just gonna go ahead and throw this out there. It's gonna get kind of real this morning. So it's gonna probably get on some toes and offend some people. Amen. 
But here's the thing I'm going to tell you, folks. It's typically not the person next to me. My goal is to come to church, get here, get as much as I can out of it, get out of here as quick as I can so I can go about my business. That's typically what it's about. My, my, it's not really about a relationship with God or with other people. It's really about can I get what I need in an hour, 15 minutes or less so I can go about my life, so I can go about my work, so I can go about what's really important, what I really need to get done. And we see this all the time. Think about it. When we, we, what's the, what typically is the altar call at church? Who's it designed around? Me. It's for me. It's, it's typically we come and we get what we need. And listen, there is an aspect of that that is good. God wants to make us whole. God wants to heal us. But it doesn't stop with us. Our salvation is not just about us. Our salvation is about fulfilling the purpose of God doing what he created us to do. Enjoying relationship with God, yes. Enjoying relationship with each other, yes. But then carrying out God's purpose because there's no way I can experience God's love and that love not be carried out to others. It changes me. It does something in me. But typically it's all about me. It's about what I can get. It's about what I need. So I come to try to get what I need and then I kind of go about what I want to do. You know, we see this all the time. I mean, this past Sunday night, March the 10th, it was pretty, it was awesome. It was a great night. Um, we did this, the equipping meeting where we looked at spiritual gifts and our natural shape and how those work together and, and sometimes how they go, they mesh and sometimes how they're very different. We, we had a good time. It was a good meeting. We had 250 or so people come out for that. It was awesome. We, I mean, it just, a lot of folks came out for that. But here's the question I have, and it hit me this week as I was thinking about it. I was like, 250? Why did people come to that? And guys, here's the truth, and this may not be true of you, but I'm going to say it because I believe it's true. Maybe 250 people came to that, and only 65 or 70 come to prayer because that meeting last Sunday night was about you. What am I going to get? What is it for me? And, and it, it's never going to work that way. It's never going to work when it's about what I get. It, never, it always stops with me. Did God pour his love out on me? Absolutely. It's why I want to serve God. But it doesn't stop with me. Salvation is poured out. Jesus died. And we, we hear all of this about a personal relationship with God. Absolutely, yes, but what God does in us personally should affect us publicly. Salvation was never meant to stop with me. That's not the point. The ticket to heaven, we hear that. You know, I just, well, they just got their fire insurance. We hear that. It's 
cliche, but it's kind of true that my goal is that I know this is okay. Now that this is okay, I'll just do what I need to do. I'll just live my life the way I need to live it. I'll just go about my business. And, and here's the truth, guys. Everybody in here, pretty much your plate's pretty full. Listen, to be quite honest, there's very little, if any, room for God on the plate. This plate's full. And here's the thing. At some point, we have to come to a place where I'm willing to make some space in my life for God to work. In fact, God's not, in, he's not supposed to be a piece of the, 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 the plate. He's supposed to be the plate. He's not one thing that's on it. He's the whole plate. But the way it operates is I'm going to keep my plate full. I'm just going to do everything that I need to do. And then when something on the plate goes wrong, hello, God, can you fix my plate? It's kind of how we operate. We just... Gonna keep my plate going, boy, I'm busy. And we make a joke out of it. Yeah, man, just busy. How are you, how are you doing? Just busy. People ask me, what you doing? I'm just kids in church. Just busy. We don't make room for God. I talked about the Genesis 126 through 28, the Acts 1-8, where God clearly shows us that our purpose is to fill the earth with his image, with his glory, to see the earth ruled and reigned in a way that glorifies God to be advancing his kingdom, taking from the kingdom of darkness, bringing it into the kingdom of light. We, we've seen that. We looked at Ephesians chapter 2. And, and remember, this is kind of catching us up. It's sort of a summary of the last few weeks. But Ephesians chapter 2, I don't know if you remember looking at this, was the very first week we started looking at who is God. We talked about that God is a God of relationship. We saw in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, where God reconciles us with himself through Jesus, it's by grace, him doing for us, in us, and through us what we cannot do on our, on our own. And, and he, by grace, by faith in Christ, this grace of God works in us. He makes us right with himself. We looked at Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, and we saw that it doesn't stop there, that God didn't just reconcile us with himself, but he reconciles us to each other. We saw where the Jews, the, the, the people of God that he had chosen in the Old Testament, and now the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, that Jesus tore down this wall of hostility that existed between them because of the law and this, this old belief system that the Jews had. Now Jesus has made a way for all people to come to God. And so through Christ, we can all come to him. And so we see he didn't just reconcile us and God, but he reconciled us and each other, creating one person, one people, one body out of all the people on the earth. And so we saw that, we recognized that. That he's a reconciling God, a God of relationship, that that's his plan and purpose to create out of all the different people in the world, one body. We went and we looked at Ephesians chapter three. I want to read these verses. This is Paul again, writing to the church in Asia. He says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. In other words, God has graced me to serve him through this ministry. He says, although I am the least, I'm less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me 
to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. When we look at this, y'all, what is Paul doing? If you read through the letter to the Ephesians, to these churches in Asia, if you read through this, you'll see where it almost feels disjointed. Why did he go from this reconciliation of God with us and God and us to each other? And now he's talking about this ministry given to him. And it seems kind of disjointed, but it's not disjointed at all. What he's doing is he's showing, listen, the grace of God has saved me. The grace of God has done in me what I cannot do. And the grace of God is doing through me what I cannot do. So that now he's called me to go to the Gentiles to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, the good news of Christ, so that the Gentiles and non-Jews can be brought into this body of believers who have faith in Christ or made right with Christ so this reconciliation can happen so that this one people goes throughout the earth fulfilling God's purpose so that God is exalted throughout the earth. He's saying this gift was given to me to preach this to them. Then he goes on and he tells us the, the reason for all of this. If you really want to know God's intent and God's purpose for your life, here it is. He says this, his intent, God's intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In other words, he's telling us what the purpose is. He's saying, look, now that God has brought the Gentiles in with the Jews, God has torn down this barrier of racism and, and ethnicity and all these other barriers that can exist between people. He's torn those down in Christ. He's saying he's brought everybody together and he brought them together for this purpose so that people will look at the church. God's manifold wisdom in Jesus is seen. They see the grace of God at work in people's lives and through people's lives they see the power of God and God is glorified as his manifold wisdom. This multifaceted wisdom is displayed. And so he's telling us what the purpose and intent is. That one body, one people would glorify God together, united by one spirit but see, this individual thing that I talked about in the beginning, it doesn't just exist in the individual believer. It exists in churches too. I don't know if y'all remember, but there was kind of a fad that went through the church where they, people with churches were making T-shirts that said, I love my church. Y'all remember those? Thank God we never made one, but we did something just as bad. And so... So I look at that now, I look back on that. And I'm like, look, maybe for them it's saying, yeah, I love the people that I worship with. I love, but on the outside, how does every other church read that shirt? I love my church because my church is better than your church. That's how they read it. We did a shirt, some of you probably still have it. I don't think we give them out anymore, I hope not. If not, we need to stop. If we do, we need to stop. But it was one of our kids' shirts. And a lot of y'all remember these. It had on the front, it said, where your kids would rather be. Now, we did those shirts with, in innocence, honestly, honest to God, innocence. 
We wanted it to be a shirt that when parents came in the church that they would see that and it was a reminder that Connection Kids is the best place for their children to hear the gospel on their level. That's the intentions. Where your kids would rather be, not in here, in there, because they're actually going to learn something on their level. The problem wasn't in here. The problem was when you went to lunch. And people from other churches saw the shirt and they went, well, I guess they think they're better than us. Where their kids would rather, my kids don't want to be there. My kids will never go there. (laughs) And, And for good reason, right? I don't blame them. That's the same thought I would have had. But those kind of things, it doesn't promote unity. It's why if you got a pen this morning, most likely it does not say Connection Church. They thought for a while I was going to take the sign off the building. Still might. But the pen should say it's all about Jesus. Why? Because it's not about us. We're not here to exalt us. We're here to exalt Christ. It's not about me. I remember, you know, for a few years, uh, the, the best in the borough would come out. And everybody would be like, oh, you know, you got the best in the borough. They're like, does that make you feel good? No. Because how's every other pastor seeing that? One of two ways. I bet he thinks he's something. Or, man, I wish I could get that. And then hopefully a lot of them are like, who gives a crap like me? They tried to do that uh, 20 under 40 or whatever. Like, hey, you won this award. I was like, I don't want it. They're like, what? I was like, I don't want it. I don't feel like, yeah, I just don't want it. Well, we've never had anybody turn it down. I'm sorry, but I don't want it. Nothing wrong with awards. Nothing wrong with recognition. But I would rather err on the side of it's not about me than err on, or then make a mistake and somebody look at me and me give them reason to think that somehow I'm promoting me. There were years, guys, I couldn't say this, but I honestly mean it today. That if God has to shut this place down in order to do his work, then let it be. If we're all supposed to go down the road, cross town, whatever it is, let's go. I just want to see the work of God done. I want to see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. I want to see lives changed. I want to see God glorified. I want to see us move out of this mentality that it's all about me into a mentality that God has gifted and graced me as it says in Ephesians 4, 7 that Jesus has given each one of us gifts as he apportioned them. I want us to see that. I want us to know that. I want us to walk in that but I want us to do it for the right reason I don't want us to do it because somehow it makes me feel good and exalts me will it make you feel good will it make you feel alive absolutely but that's not the end purpose the end purpose is that God is glorified through our lives why do 250 people come to to the gifts thing and, and 70 show up at prayer I I wrestle with that. Do I say that? Do I not say that? 
Does it kill momentum? God killed the momentum that that started. But listen, momentum in the wrong direction is destructive. We got to check our hearts. What Josh said today is he was praying or, or talking before the next song. He's like, we need to check our hearts. Why am I here today? Why am I here? Paul tells us in Ephesians 4, 7, he goes, look, in, in Ephesians 3, 7 through 9, he's telling us, he's like, look, God's gifted me in this way. He tells us, look, I realize I don't deserve it. I'm the least of God's people. I persecuted the church. I killed people in the church. I'm the least of God's people. But God has graced me. He's empowered me to do this. And then in 4, 7, he says, but you got to realize it's not just me that he's given this grace gift to. It's everybody, everyone who's come to faith in Christ. He says in Ephesians 4, 7, Christ has given us these grace gifts to be used for his glory. He goes on in Ephesians 4, 11. He says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So he's saying, listen, the way these gifts grow, the way this is going to work, the way you come to maturity is that there's a group of people that God has gifted and he's gifted these people to equip other people to go out and do ministry, to carry out ministry. It's where you equip folks. But there's a problem in the church when I can't get two out of three connect group leaders to text me back, email me back, or come meet with me. I'm trying to equip and people won't, they, they just blow it off. That's an issue. I had one of our staff came in my office but after the nine o'clock service and he's like, well, I guess I'm gonna have to learn how to roof, find another job. He's like talking about the message at nine. And here's the honest truth, guys, is I'm up here to be a prophet, to speak God's truth, not to be a prostitute that just tells you what you want, makes you feel good, and then sends you out the door. And so if this isn't the place for you, I love you and I want you to be here, but we gotta get our hearts right. We, we gotta make sure that we're, we're walking in this. And listen, God's word says that it teaches, rebukes, corrects, and trains. Part of this is rebuke and correction. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing that God brings us back in line with his will. So how does this happen? Philippians, I told you we we're going to read Philippians 1. I never did. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Paul says, whatever happens, in other words, whatever happens to him, he says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit 
striving together. So again, we see Paul equate a manner worthy of the gospel, not just to the individual, but to the body. Striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now here that I still have. And listen to this. He says, therefore, he's saying, since you've seen this, since you know this, since you, you recognize this, this is what we're called to do. Live in unity as one body moving together. He says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, the same um, the same love, being one in spirit and one of mind. Do nothing, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interest, but each of you looking to the interest of the others. What's he telling us the key to this unity in life in the body is? He's telling us it's our experience with Christ. What, what, what is it that motivates me to move forward? What is it that motivates me to pursue him? It's my experience with Christ. It's when he says, if you have any. He's not saying if you have any, like maybe you haven't. He's saying, I know you have. He said, I know you've had encouragement from being united with him. I know you've had comfort from his love. I know that you, you have a common sharing in his spirit. I know there's tenderness and compassion. He's saying, then make my joy complete. What's Paul's joy? To see the body functioning as the body. To see one body, one people, one group functioning as they were designed to function, united, not split and divided all over the place, but coming together to fulfill the purpose of God. That's what Paul's joy is, to see his joy complete, that they're walking together in unity, walking in humility. He says this in verse five, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Have the same mindset in all your relationships. How do we come to the mindset of Christ? By the Holy Spirit working in us, inside of us, in our heart, but also by his truth renewing our mind so that I don't think like I used to think, I think like Christ thinks according to God's truth. And so he says, I have the same mindset of Christ. And then he says this, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. I want you to hear this because this is important. I want you to see why we don't exalt ourselves, but we exalt him. I want you to see why I don't have to strive for selfish ambition and vain conceit and my own accomplishments and my own accumulation of things. Why I don't have to try to grab my own value and worth or make my own value and worth. I want you to see why we lift him up and not ourselves. And so he tells us this, that he is in very nature God, that he is God, yet he did not consider equality with God as something to be used to his own advantage. In other words, 
Jesus said, I'm not going to hold on to this. I'm going to let this go so that I can come to the earth, that I can walk among them. I'm living all the glory of heaven, that I can come in flesh and I can walk amongst them. I can be tempted as they are tempted. I can walk in, in the ways that they've walked. I can be a, a high priest. I can be a God who understands what they've gone through, what they're experiencing, who can sympathize with their weaknesses and their struggles. And he says, listen, I've come to earth. He said uh, he humbled himself, came to earth, did not consider equality with God as something worthy to hold on to. And rather it says he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. What did the God of the universe do? He comes and walks among us. He, he comes and he, he serves us even to the point where he washes disciples' nasty old feet giving us an example of what you do when you're the most powerful person in the room. It's not that you go and, and you exalt you. It's that you serve others to exalt him. And he's showing us that. He's teaching us that. Paul wants us to see that, that he was made in human likeness. He was, being, he was found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so why do we serve him? Why do we exalt him? Why do we lift him up? Because of who he is and what he's done. Because he is the God of the universe. But he humbled himself and came to earth. And he walked among us. He was tempted with every sin. Not just the little sins you want to admit. Oh, Jesus, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, all the sins. But Jesus knew that he didn't just come to earth to live a life that we couldn't live. He came to earth to die the death that we should have died. It was so much of a traumatic event that in the garden, he prayed, Lord, if there is a God, if there's another way, Father, if there's another way, then take this cup from me. He said, but not your will, but my will be done. So what was the cup? What is he talking about? He's talking about the cup of God's wrath. He said, listen, if, if I don't have to endure your wrath, then I don't want to. If there's a plan B, then I'll take it. But I know this, that my destiny is the cross, so your will be done. And he went to the cross and all the sin of the world was put on him. Not just the little white lies that we rationalize away, not realizing that all lies come from the father of lies who is Satan, so they come from the pit of hell. Not realizing that, but the little things we rationalize away, we just kind of go, yeah, yeah, yeah. But Jesus didn't just take the wrath for the little things. He took wrath for everything. God's cup was not just tilted a little bit, so a little bit splashed over the side. God's cup was emptied fully on him on the cross so that we could be made right. God's cup was empty fully on Jesus. It was so much so that the earth uh, began to shake. It was so much so that the sun quit shining, that it became dark. It was so much so that even creation reacted when the full cup of God's wrath was poured out on Christ. And when we see that, how can we not come to the conclusion that the reasonable act of worship and service to God is to offer my life as a living sacrifice, not to exalt me, but to exalt him. This is the reasonable thing I can do in view of the mercy that he's had and the grace that he's given is offer myself completely to God, not just to show up and get what I can get, but to get filled up so I can go empty it out. 
and then I don't have to wait till Sunday to get filled up again. I just come back to him and he poured into me the spirit of God. I get in his truth to see his heart, to see what he's like. The Holy Spirit begins to fill me and I find out that John 7 is true, that rivers of living water begin to flow out of me, not because I've changed me, but because the Holy Spirit in me is changing me and he's working out of me and through me and there's something in me that I know is different. Why? Because God is doing something different in my heart. We have allowed stale, dead, dull religion to rob us of our purpose and we're robbed of our purpose because we've been robbed of our experience with God. And it's time for God's people to say enough is enough. Enough denominational lines. Enough non-denominational lines. Enough black. Enough white. Enough Chinese. Enough this. Enough that. Enough rich. Enough poor. It's all been torn down. We are one body and we need to stand firm in the spirit and begin to go forward. And see, here's the thing I can tell y'all. You, you and I should be thankful that it's not about us. Because what you and I can do is so limited. It is about something and someone so much bigger than us. So much better. God God's been boxed in through our experience in a religious system that doesn't allow him to work in the ways he wants to work again this paradigm exists it's got to be torn down through his truth we got to realize that God is a God of bigger things we can't be bound to what we've seen we need to be set free by the truth. Jesus said, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Set us free from our old ways of thinking to begin to believe bigger things that God wants to do his original purpose through us. But it'll never happen if it's always about us. out today praying for us and we'll be dismissed father I, I pray as we started today Lord that you would open the eyes of our hearts that you give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation that we can know you better God I am so thankful it's not about me I, I'm so thankful God that my value worth identity is not tied up in me thankful that it's secure in you. God, I thank you that you meet our needs. I thank you, God, that you care for us more than we could ever know. I thank you that you love us, God, with a love that never ceases and never stops. And I thank you for salvation and being able to come to you and know you, but God, I'm thankful it doesn't stop there. God, I pray that we would expend ourselves, that we would give ourselves over to fulfilling your purpose your plan God because I know that's where our ultimate joy will come from I know God that 
It's what Paul was striving for was to see your purpose fulfilled. So Lord, I pray you'll continue to stir our hearts, continue to work in us, take away anything that's not of you. God, tear down the strongholds, these incorrect ways of thinking in our mind, Lord, that so that we can see you more clearly through your truth. Let your truth define who you are for us, God, not what we've always seen. Father, I love you. I thank you for grace. You doing for us, in us, and through us what we cannot do on our own. It's in Christ's name we pray.